Sawate to Skippoli, and welcome again to another episode of Latin and Layman's. Today is going to be a little different, not doing any sort of myth kind of thing, not doing any sort of medical thing, not doing any sort of legal thing. In fact, what we're going to jump into for today, talking a little bit more about grammar and how we kind of like understand uh, the usage of our words and how to manipulate our language because we're going to be diving into uh, the passive voice. And the passive voice, well, First off, we're going to talk about the concept of the passive voice in English, and then we're also going to relay that back into the um, the Latin um, and understanding in the Latin. I might I might riff off all the endings for the passive, but um, I also recently had a student of mine at a prior school that I worked at reach out to me about um, you know some help on the passive voice, and I think we really need to understand it via English first. Uh, before we actually dive into understanding the passive voice in Latin, it's, you know, and it is kind of a weird way in doing that, you know, kind of like learning English through a roundabout way through learning it through a different language. But I kid you not, like all the grammar, all like, yeah, all the grammar concepts I learned actually was learned through Latin to be then applied thereafter back to my English. So if you didn't know, now you know. I need to make that like my slogan or something like that. I don't know. Anyways, um, but yeah, we're gonna we're gonna talk about. Uh, well, hear about. I'm getting tongue tied for some reason. Here's what I meant to say. Before we dive into a little bit of an interruption, I'm going to talk about the three important rules that we need to remember in the present passive system, um, and. More so being able to delineate what a passive sentence is versus an active sentence and then therefore or thereby changing it uh, from active to passive and vice versa from passive to active. Number one, though, the subject is acted upon in a passive sentence. Okay, think about that. The subject is acted upon. Kind of weird. Typically, the subject is the doer of the action, right? And the direct object is the receiver of that action that the doer is doing, aka the subject. Um, the letter R is the most common indicator for the passive voice in the Latin present tense passive system. And then our third point here, present passive verbs or passive verbs in general expect agents. So with that being said, those are things that we need to kind of just have churning in our heads as I continue on with this lesson and just talking about what the passive voice is. And what is a voice? Why do we call it the voice? It's because all of these verbs have verbal qualities. Remember how I've talked about we have person number tense, mood. Um, typically, we're dealing in the indicative mood when I'm teaching Latin. But when we get further on, we switch into the subjunctive mood. Um, for those that know uh, in different languages like Spanish or, um, you know, probably a lot of other Romance languages have a subjunctive mood. Latin also has a subjunctive mood, a.k.a. you basically have to relearn all of the endings of all the conjugations from first to fourth in the subjunctive. So there are a set of endings for the indicative and a set of endings for the subjunctive. Indicative mood refers to the matter of fact versus subjunctive is kind of more like where we get if then uh, clauses, conditions, relative clauses, relative clauses of characteristic, indirect statement, indirect discourse, and so on and so forth. So with that being said, I'm going to shut my mouth and let you guys, uh, well, first off, 
Latin and layman's. If you haven't already, find me wherever you can. Type it into Google. Find a way to support me. Would appreciate it. You know I would. And if you already have, I appreciate you to the nth degree. Now, with that being said, okay, so let's start with the basics here. Passive is a voice. It's the op opposite of active. Simple. I could say it also complements the yin to the active's yang, but I don't care much to say that or do that, so I'm just not going to. But anyways, in essence, what the passive voice does is move the action of the verb backwards towards the subject rather than forward toward a direct object, if that makes any sense. Conversely, con meaning with, wearisome meaning to turn, so turning with, conversely, active verbs move the action of the verb from the subject toward a direct object. Thus, in principle, um, passive verbs do not take on direct objects. In English, passive verbs form, um, or passive verb forms rather, typically involve some form of the verb to be, such as I am praised, which is passive, versus I praised, which is active. We were war warned, which is passive, as opposed to we warned. They will be held, which is passive, is oppo also opposed to they will hold, which is active. So see how there's that sense of being? I am being praised. We were being warned. They will be held. Or I am praised. We were warned. Note, though, it's important in English to recognize that when be is added to a verb form, it doesn't always make the verb passive. The addition of a form of the verb to be can also make the verb continue. But I won't get into it. That's just a little bit of a caveat. Kawayat. In fact, kawayat is a subjunctive uh, a noun. Or I'm sorry. <laughs> Punch me in the face. A subjunctive verb um, that uh, literally means... Uh, let it be warned, essentially. Let it be known, essentially. It's kawayat. Um, it's a warning, essentially. Let us be warned, essentially. Except for it's not. It's a Jessup subjunctive, so I'll have to figure out the exact correct um, translation from kawayat. Kawayat, remember, because V's are pronounced as W's. Anyways, getting off on a little tangent, I'll wrap it back around. Talking about, well... Here's uh, how to tell those forms apart, aka a B form combined with a verb that has a participle ending ing is active, whereas B formed uh, the to be form combined with a verb that has a participle ending ed is passive. Okay, thinking about that, for example, I am praising, which is active, is different than I am praised or I am being praised, which is passive. I am praising my dog. If I said I am being praised by my dog, that would in turn change the meaning of the, of the sentence entirely. So if I say I am praising my dog, how do I make that passive while also retaining the meaning of I praising my dog, probably for being a good boy or good girl? Well, I can't say I am being praised by my dog because now we've turned it around and now the dog is praising me and that's not really what happens. So now we take that direct object, we throw at the beginning of the sentence and we says, and we says, we say the dog is being praised 
And then in a passive sentence, we expect that agent, right? We call that an ablative of agent. And in this case, by the preposition, right? Because the ablative is associated with a prepositional phrase. Um, fancy, dancy word, remember, for the pre pre prepositional phrase, ablative case. So with that being said, I am being praised. Rather, the dog is being praised by me versus I am praising my dog. My dog is pr being praised by me. There you go, the roundabout way. The reason why I'm doing this so, uh, like right now especially, is because if I have high schoolers that don't know how to delineate between passive and active, they don't know how to change the difference between the two sentences, the writing is not going to be as powerful. It's not going to be as um, streamlined. It's not going to have the oomph that it needs to so that they can get the free money from the scholarships that I farm out to them, even though they don't seem to do them because I guess free money is too hard of work nowadays. But <laughs> throwing some shade, I love them. But they, uh, uh, I, I'm sure any teacher can speak from this. Uh, there is a lack there of work ethic and or just showing up to do the work a lot of the time. You know, it, it, there's the, the resorting to chat GPT and AI, and it's just going to uh, inundate us with more enabled children. And I want to enable yourselves because at the end of the day, if you know and rely on yourself as your own center core knowing of knowledge, I don't know what I'm trying to say there, then you can rely on yourself, not rely on other people. And when you have yourself to rely on, then you are empowered by yourself. You're proud of yourself. You know that you can be independent. You don't have to reach out to anybody because, yeah, you can figure it out and you're, you'll find the way. That being said, you know what? I'm blaming the English teacher too because he should be at least outlining in all of the essays that he makes my students do. There should be an, you know, we, we should know what active means, why we're doing it, and what's the point. Why would my teachers going throughout school say write in the active voice, do not write in the passive voice because in turn I did write a lot in the passive voice but I didn't understand it at the time. Uh, because I just wanted to make my words uh, more convoluted and more highfalutin because I thought that at the time when I was a student, I thought the more words I said and the more I said it in kind of a, you know, a quote unquote fancy dancy way, even though it really was just a confusing way, um, then I, I wasn't really empowered by my language. I was just trying to like, I was, I was, I was accidentally making a lot of my sentence passive because, uh. I was just very convoluted with my wording because I thought if my sentences sounded wordy, then my teacher would think that I knew what I was talking about and wasn't really the case, right? Now, that being said, if you actually know how to, how to do it and make your language sound really highfalutin, and then you can therefore take that highfalutinness and then relay it into, you know, simple speech. It's like a doctor being able to converse with his colleagues in the medical setting, but also being able to re relay all of those medical terms uh, to the patient uh, in a very palatable way so that they can understand, right? They're not going to be understanding if you know, they get a toxicology report and they, they're like, all right, well, I've got this blood panel here and it's showing that you have hyperkalemia, you have hyponitremia, uh, there's a, an aspect of anemia as well, and all these other aspects of high, high hypercholesterolemia or whatever. I don't know. A lot of different things. Somebody hearing all those words, especially the, the, the average Joe would be like, yo. Yeah. Joe bag of donuts would be like, yo, what the heck? 
excuse me, don't, don't speak to me like I'm dumb. You know, people don't really take light to that a lot of the time, but if you can actually show them the fancy and then the regular, then I think that they appreciate that more because you're trying to teach them a little bit more. When I was working as a physical therapy assistant and working with patients, I would do both and, and tell them and show them, all right, well, what we're doing here in order to activate our glute medius is we are using hip abduction, that we are pushing our hips apart. Ab means from, duco ducere in Latin means a, 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 to lead. So if you are abducting your hips, you are leading them away. And in this case, the midline of your body, right? Because everything goes either towards or away the midline of your towards or away from the midline of your body um, in physiology. So there's a little bit of a, little, a random tangent here, but this is why I'm doing this is because we ought to know how to speak and manipulate our language and look at a sentence and be like, yo, that is a passive sentence. That is not going to be as very uh, streamlined. It's not going to have the oomph that I want. It's not going to have the emphasis. It reminds me of uh, dear old Miss Chitwood back in the day. Yeah, <clears throat> some of the things I think about that the t my teachers tell me, I'm like, oh, that's kind of problematic. But also, it's kind of funny. I remember what she would always tell us is, you know, especially with sentences, she was like, you know what? Sentences, paragraphs, your essay should be like a skirt. And we were like, what the heck? I was, I, I was like a freshman in high school when she told us this. She said, yes. It should be long enough to cover all of the essentials, but short enough to keep things interesting. And I always laugh because I was like, oh, but, but to be honest, for real, that's what you want in your, in your writing. You want to captivate your audience. You want to keep them reeled in and you don't want to lose them to the reads. With that being said, let's get back into it here. Okay. So we talked about how I am praising versus I am praised or I am being praised or passive. And we talked about the dog, right? I am praising my dog versus the dog is being praised by me. We were warning versus the passive form. We were warned. There's a very easy way to be certain that you're dealing with a passive form and it's not, and not its continual form, in my opinion. If it makes sense to add by someone after the verb form, that's typically when we're in passive. Whenever you can, the verb form is passive. For example, it makes sense to say we were warned by someone, whereas it makes no sense to say we were warning by someone. What is we were warning by someone? Silly, silly, silly. Now let's look at how the passive voice works grammatically. We'll start with an active sentence. The students study Latin. If we take that active verb study and we make it passive by adding the verb to be and adding ed to the end of the verb with a result that study becomes is studied, then the and then we turn the direct object of the active sentence Latin into the subject of the passive sentence, we end up with the passive sentence Latin is studied. Notice it means the same thing. Latin is being studied. Latin is studied. Latin is being studied versus the students study Latin. But it leaves one thing out. Who is doing the studying in this case? Well, in this case, I'm pretty sure it was the students, right? If you want to include in the passive sentence, you make you take the subject of the active form students that we had said prior, put after the passive verb is studied, and append by to the front of students. You see, I, I try to make these kind of like a formula. The result is Latin is studied by students. 
instead of students study Latin, Latin is studied by students. I am praising my dog. My dog is being praised by me. The, gram gramat ugh. the grammatical term for by students is called the agent, like I expressed earlier. We'll chat a little bit more about that in a few. But notice that while both sentences say the same thing, the action of the verb runs in exact opposite directions. Um, in the active sentence, it moves from left to right from the subject to the direct object. But when the verb is passive, um, the action runs right to left towards the subject from the agent. Students study Latin. Latin is studied by the students. Latin isn't doing the studying by any means. I don't know if it can. If it can, let me know. You might need a little bit of some uh, support in your mind. Just kidding. I'm done. I don't even know what I'm saying. But let's, all right. Why don't we practice doing that a little bit? That being changing the direction of a verb without changing the meaning of the sentence by moving the verb from active to passive voice. Here's the first sentence. I explained the passive voice. So what's the direct object accusative here? The passive voice. Now let's make that subject, which is nominative. Nominative coming from Latin nomen meaning name, the nominative case, the subject, the naming case. Add a form of to be to the verb in the right tense. Got to keep that right tense, you guys. Sequence of tenses. And make the subject the agent. Or in layman's dealio, put by in front of it. The result is the passive voice was explained by me. I explained the passive voice versus the passive voice was explained by me. Let's try another one. You ought to make better choices. What's the direct object? Say it to yourself real quickly. Direct object. You ought to make better choices. Probably better choices. Add B to the verb. What's the verb in this case? You ought to make. Which one is the verb here? Uh, well, I'm probably going to say in this case made or make, make into made and to be made and then make the subject the agent. You. So the result, better choices ought to be made by you. What did the teacher say? What's the verb? Did say. What's the direct object of say? What is the direct object of say? What will become the subject of the passive sentence? And the subject of the passive sentence, or I'm sorry, the subject of the sentence rather? What's the subject? No, it's not what. In fact, it's the teacher. What did the teacher say? He slash C is the one that's doing the saying. In the passive sentence, the teacher will become the agent. So the passive form of this sentence would be what was said by the teacher versus what did the teacher say? You can even make a question sentence into a passive sentence, right? Commands can also be turned into the passive as well as long sentence. So note, a verb cannot become passive it does, if it does not have a direct object in its active form. That's because the direct object becomes the subject when the verb is converted into the passive voice. There has to be a subject in the sentence. Verbs that don't take direct objects are called intransitive, right? In meaning not, trans means across, itive or sitive means um, to go. So it does not go across. Here are some examples of intransitive verbs in English. I arrived in Rome. Arrived has no direct object. I can't arrive something. Thus, arrived can't be converted into the passive voice. He sighed sadly and died. 
was side, was died, is wrong? Yes, it's wrong. Um, she fell down and remained on the ground. Was fallen, was remained. Just think about it, please. Just like English, Latin also has intransitive verbs, of which one major subset is linking verbs. We've talked about linking verbs, the verb to be, right? It doesn't take on a direct object, it takes on a predicate. Remember, linking verbs take predicates, not direct objects. I will reinforce that because I have to reteach that all the time to my students because it's like I introduce first conjugation and then as soon as I introduce the verb to be, then everything starts to, they start to put the, the verb to be endings on the first conjugation verbs. And I'm like, you guys can't do that. No, no. Therefore, they can't be made passive. Okay, there's no direct object to be converted into the subject, aka you can't be bead, bead. Besides sum, posum, and waleo uh, are also intransitive and do not take uh, passive forms. Um, so where English uses be to create passive forms in the present tense, Latin does not. It uses instead a special set of personal endings. I'll riff them off real quickly. Oristor, mormonientor. Oristor, mormonientor. Er, first person singular. Ris, second person singular. Ter, third person singular. Mer, first person plural. Mini, first person singular. Uh, second person plural. Ntor, third person plural. Note that the second person singular, ris, sometimes appears in a shorter form, re, re. Many classical authors like Virgil use RE quite often. Uh, don't worry about that, though. I guess it's just for you to know that I guess I know. And now you know. So there you go. All right. While Mr. Uh, Mr. Me here doesn't really introduce the passive voice when I'm teaching it um, for the third and fourth, the third IO and fourth conjugations, um, I usually wait quite a bit after. Um, I think it's better, at least right now, talking on this podcast form to introduce all the present passive system together all at once. It makes the memorization easier if you are, you know, now Now we're going to get a little bit more into the Latin-y stuff, okay? So if you guys are not really curious about the Latin and just wanted the English, you guys can get on out of here if you want to. That's all good in the hood. I don't take offense. Um, so let's do it. As to the endings themselves, first-person singular endings combine the O of the active with the R of the passive, producing OR uh, across all the conjugations. Also, in third conjugation, from the active second-person singular AGIS, you would expect to have AGIRIS, right? A-G-I-R-I-S. But in the passive, the Romans used the thematic vowel E instead. Um, but that doesn't really count as much as an irregularity because third conjugation regularly interchanges I, E, and U as thematic vowels throughout its forms. And here is the translation of the verb amo in the present passive system. So we have amar, amaris, amator, amamor, amamini, and then amator. Y'all know me. I'm not the best at pronunciation. It's all good in the hood because I love Latin for all the other aspects that it's amplified my life. Amar would be, I am loved. By whom, essentially? See how it's passive? Amaris, you are loved. Amator, he, she, it is loved. Amamor, we are loved. 
Amon Mini, y'all are loved. Amon Tor, they are loved. Here are the passive endings in the imperfect sense. So we have bar, baris, bator, bamor, bam, bameni, bantor. See how it's very similar to the active bombas, bot, bombas, bot, bot. Let's look at amo again in the imperfect passive. I'm a bar, I'm a baris, I'm a bator, I'm a bamor, I'm a barmini, bameni rather, and I'm a bantor. I was loved, you were loved, he, she, it was loved, we were loved, y'all were loved, they were loved. Look at there. Here are the endings for the future tense in the passive voice of the first conjugation and second conjugation. So we have bor, berries, bitor, bimor, bimini, buntor. Note that there are some irregularities in the second person singular. Of course, we have that berries, which should be beeris with an I instead of an E. But otherwise, the endings are quite predictable. In the third, third IO and fourth conjugations, they utilize what one would expect in the future kind of forms in the future is what I meant to say. That is not the bobis bit business found in the first and second conjugation, but the E as the future tense marker or A in the first person singular, right? Which produces endings like R, A-R, Aries, E-R-I-S, Ettor, Amor, Emini, Entor. Remember, you're responsible for knowing these forms if you're taking my Latin class, if you're taking any Latin class. Um, but, uh, you know, these aren't really gone over extensively like other forms. So you have to remember to kind of have these juggling in your mind. So we have, uh, or restore more mini intor. We have, uh, bar, bari, spot, tor, bar, bar, more, bar, bar, mini, bontor, bor, berry, spit, tor, bear, more, bin, mini, bontor. Right. And then if I were to put that with ama, bor, and do that with the uh, the the future passive for ama. It would be ama bor, ama beris, ama bitor, ama bimor, ama bimini, ama buntor. I will be loved. You will be loved. He, she will be loved. We will be loved. By whom? I don't know. Y'all will be loved. They will be loved. There you go. Remember, these are things that we just got to kind of keep going on and remembering and a note a little caveat caveat in the circumstance a long vowels come into play the e preceding the ending in third conjugation future second person singular aries is mandatory because it distinguishes the future form from the present form so please remember that in other words aries with that long e the macron over the e means you will be whatever the verb means for instance you will be led Whereas Aries with a short E means you are whatever the verb means. For instance, you are led. So remember, slight nuances information. I did, was not consulted in the design phase of Latin. So don't add me. You're going to have to get a time machine and you're going to have to go back in time and you're going to have to punch some Romans in the face if you're actually ticked off about this. But you know what? Let's leave it at that. And if you want to ruminate and go down the rabbit hole, that's on you. Sorry, not sorry. In addition to the finite forms, though, the present infinitives can also be passive. Or present, yeah, I'm sorry, whoa. Here are the endings for the present passive infinitives in all five conjugations. So in the first conjugation, the present passive infinitives end in ari, producing things like laudari, meaning to be praised. In the second conjugation, like monari, to be warned. And adding in third, third I-O and fourth, as we did with the finite verb forms in third conjugation, I as in agi, 
to be done. And then fourth conjugation, eerie, as in sentiri, to be felt like sentient, because we are sentient beings. This is where we get the word sense, right? Sense is the feeling sensation, right? Sensation, sensational. And third conjugation, or third I-O conjugation, I, again, as in ayaki, uh, coming from yakeo, which means to throw, ayaki, yaki, to be thrown. By whom? Uh, I, hopefully, you're not going to be thrown by anybody, but, you know, maybe you're a small little person that can be vaulted like a pavault or like a javelin, I mean. Now, what I'm, what we're going to do, and we're going to talk about real quickly before we wrap this up, because I've been going boom shakalaka through this. No breaks. Hey, this is all from my head, you guys. I hope that this is making sense, y'all. Hit me up if uh, you have any more questions about passive voice, because we're going to be diving into the ablative of agent. Remember how the agent is the whatever is by someone, right? You have to be loved by someone in the passive voice, right? Um, you have to be praised by someone, right? You can't just be, well, let's get into it. The ablative agent is what most passive verb forms expect, as opposed to direct object forms, which are the what most transitive active verb forms expect. Let's start with the simple sentence, you did it. Here we have a nominative subject, you, an active verb, did, and the accusative direct object, it. If we want to retain the same sense, but use a passive verb form instead of an active one, we start by changing did to was done. Okay, so now we have you was done it. That sounds a little odd. To retain the same sense in the passive sentence, we need to make the direct object it and make it the subject of the passive form producing it was done. Hmm, now we're getting somewhere. But in order to complete the sense because it was done, we have to ask the question, as we do all the time with passive sentences, by whom or by who? So, in this case, the active version of the sentence has um, that, uh, I got tongue-tied, we need to say who's doing the action of the verb, essentially. That's what I'm trying to say here. It was done. And thus, in the passive form, we needed add that agent by whom essentially and who is the by in this case if we started out with the simple sentence you did it if we have it was done finish the thought for me exactly by you so the full passive form would then be it was done by you to express the agent in the passive verb construction latin uses the ablative case and then finally let's do some latin so here's an example, Romani ab amici suis serabantur, meaning the Romans were saved by their friends. If, however, the agent in the passive sentence is not a person, Latin still uses the ablative to express the that doer, but no prepositional a slash ab. This ablative of impersonal agent is really the equivalent of the ablative of means and should be called that. So, for example, Romani labore magno serabantor, meaning the Romans were being were saved by or with great effort, would also make sense. Note, no pre preposition before the ablative labore, right? Because we just assume, like we called, that it could just be an ablative of means, right? <clears throat> and in that case, we take 
a preposition of our own to finish the thought in English, revive the sentence to make it sound good and to retain the meaning because it wouldn't make much sense to just say the Romans were saved. Great effort. You got to either have a by or a with or um, by or with is probably going to be the best bet there. With that being said, there's a bunch of knowledge dumped there. A lot of stuff I said. I hope I didn't inundate with you too much. And if you learned something new, which I hope you did, because I really wanted to go over this, especially because if I have high schoolers and middle schoolers on the same plane in terms of understanding grammar, let's try and, you know, let's try and tackle that. Let's understand that we don't have to be enabled by our technology. We can be empowered by our technology to help us do our everyday tasks without relying on it to actually do it for us all the time. It can be there to check and recheck and to double check, but it's not there to take away your mind. Invest in your mind. Invest in your body. Carry the vessel of life that is life. What you have, this body. Treat it well because it's going to carry you on through the rest of this life. And there are a lot of people that don't treat it well. And that's when breakdowns occur. And that's when, yeah, you got to treat your car well, just like you treat your mind well, just try it like you treat your body well. All right. So with that being said, I hope you learned something new. Remember to thank your mind, your legs, your arms. In fact, I'll do it right now because I went on a long bike ride yesterday. I really thank my legs and my hamstrings and my quads. I thank my toes. I think the arches of my feet. I thank my calves. I think my thank my soleus and my gastrocnemius, my gastro stomach nemius, lower leg. The stomach of the lower leg is where the gastrocnemius is, aka your calf. I thank my quads, my semitendinosus, membranosus, bicep femoris, all a part of my hams and everything else. Thank you guys again. Tempo Sest to Skittery.